All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. Come on, let me hear it on three, ready? I want to hear your loudest shout for everybody that's excited to be at New Life Church today to worship Jesus. Ready, one, two, three, come on, let's shout, yeah, yeah, come on. Awesome, awesome. Well, man, I look, my name is Jeff. I get a chance to serve as one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you guys decided to come out today and to worship God. On a day when snow and all kinds of things could have impeded your worship, you put God first and you came to trust in what? To trust in the promises of God. You came here today in the, in the really the end of our current teaching series called Playlist. This is the last Sunday of Playlist. One of the reasons for that is you're also here on the last Sunday of 2019. Come on. High five the person next to you and said, we started the year with God and we're ending the year with God. All right? Just do that right now. High five the person next to you. We started the year with God and we're ending the year with God. It's awesome. It's awesome. And today, this song that you just heard, and if you're watching us online right now, by the way, I want to say thank you for watching us online. But if you're watching us online, you need to go to the YouTube link and you need to watch the video, God of the Promise by Elevation. Powerful. Powerful. That's what we're speaking about today. We're believing that modern day psalmists have written songs that are encouraging us to worship God straight out of his word. But our assignment is to take the modern day worship song and find its foundation in God's word. That's what we're doing today with God of the Promise. Now look, you've probably had a lot of people that made promises to you. Some of those promises they kept, some of those promises they didn't keep. I still remember when I was in first grade and my dad promised me something I was super excited about, okay? I was super excited about the fact that God promised, that, that my dad promised me, I'm going to take you fishing. Now think about it, like you're, you're in first grade and your dad promised you he's going to take you fishing. Like I was begging my dad, dad, come on, can we please go fishing, please, please, please. And my dad said, okay, Saturday morning, <clears throat> I'm going to wake up, I'm going to take you fishing. Well, you guys know what happened Saturday morning, right? Before the sun came up, this little first grader woke up. I ran into the bedroom, and I'm shaking my dad like, Dad, 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 it's Saturday. It's time to go fishing. It's time to go fishing, right? So he gets up. He gets ready, and we go out to Spanish Lake in St. Louis area, and I remember there was a few other people fishing there, and we got the line all set up with a bobber, and we threw it out as far as we could reach, right? And he, my dad let me cast it with my little kid's fishing pole. It went out like 10 feet. I remember there was a tree next to us. Uh, the line barely got out there, right? And my dad just let it sit there, and we, we, we sat there all morning until we got hungry, right? Somewhere later, later on, and we caught nothing. But I still remember it today as a good memory. And the reason why it's a good memory is because my dad promised to take me fishing, and he followed through with the promise. Now, here's the problem. Some of you have had people make promises to you that they didn't follow through with the promise. And it stung you. It's burnt you. It's affected the, even the way you trust God. Like someone made a promise to you, and they said this, like, I'll always promise to love you, right? But they didn't hold that promise up. And that hurts still, even now, as I say it. Or maybe someone said, look, I, I promise I'll never forget you, <laughs> right? Uh, you met them, so I'll never forget you, but you've never heard from them ever again since then. With all of the social media we have, they said, I'll never forget you, but they've never gotten a hold of you again. Or how about this one, like, I promise I'll pay you back, 
but you've never seen your money, right? And it's been a long time, and you're still a little bitter about it. Let me make one suggestion about that. Let it go, okay? Let it go. Um, it's just going to make it better for you, okay? Because the only person that's hurting right now is just you. But lastly, can I just step on some of our Christianese toes for a second? And some people have promised, and they said this, I promise I'll pray for you. But they've never prayed for you. I think we really need to be careful in the church. When we say, I promise I'll pray for you, but we have really no intention of following through on it. Hollow words. They, they end up hurting us. And when promises are broken, here's what happens. It erodes trust. It erodes trust. And think about it. Like, if the promise is a, a life-altering moment in your life, and that promise was broken, like in marriage, right, or in a family dispute, or even over finances, it, it, over time, it can cause you to not want to trust anyone. That's what happens. Not only do you not trust that person anymore, but over time, over time, as we break our promises to one another, it affects the way that we trust each other. But it also now, watch this, it starts to affect the way that we trust God. I mean, did you realize that the way we love one another affects the way that we love God? Did you notice that the way that we treat one another is a direct reflection on how we interpret how God's going to treat us. So when we break our promises one to another, it, it starts to erode our very trust in God and what will God do in our lives? And can we really trust him? Some of you guys have stepped out on a limb and you've trust God for deliverance in one way or another. Or you stepped out on a limb and you trusted God to open up certain doors for you. Or you've asked God, you trusted him for a healing, a healing in your marriage or a healing in your physical body or a healing in your child or, I mean, on and on and on. You stepped out and you trusted God, but you came to this point where you felt like God just, he didn't hold up his end of the deal. You felt like, God, I trusted you, but you didn't do what you said or what I thought you said that you would do. I felt like you broke your end of the deal. And so now you've decided that since God didn't hold up his end of the deal on this one area that you trusted him, now you've kind of lowered your trust of God. And for some of you, you've actually removed your trust of God when it comes to dealing with everyday life issues. You believe that there is a God, but you don't trust him to be at work in your everyday life. Look, I get that, okay? I understand it. I think any Christian that is honest would have to say, I understand that. And I just want to say to you right now, if you're struggling in your trust of God, I want you to know new life is a safe place. All right, this is going to be a safe sermon for you. I'm not going to beat you up for doing that. But I do want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today to open up your heart with me. And I want you to open up your heart with me and start entertaining the idea, what would it look like for me to start trusting God and trusting the promises of God again. What would it look like? I also want you to kind of open your heart up and go, what would it feel like if I could actually trust God 100%? What would it feel like in my life? Would it bring more joy? I bet it would. Would it bring more security? I, I, I guarantee you it would. Would it bring more peace? Absolutely. Would it cause your relationship with God to become you know, more alive and vibrant, you better believe it. Because see, when you don't trust somebody, you don't want to get close to them. 
When you don't trust somebody, you don't want to be vulnerable with them. When you don't trust somebody, you're not sharing your innermost secrets with them. You're not exposing the true inner parts of your heart with them. And so, church, listen to me today. If you don't, if you don't go on the journey to open up your heart and start trusting God, then know this. You are doing this to God. You're stiff-arming God. God's not stiff-arming you. You're stiff-arming him. So open up your heart with me today and entertain the idea, what would it look like if I started trusting in the promises of God? Guys, that's what leads me right back to the song, God of the Promise. Right? This whole song, God of the Promise, when you get to the chorus of it, it explodes with biblical truth. It just explodes with the very character and the nature of God. So I want us to go and I want us to read the, the chorus of this song. It says this, light of the world, trample the darkness. Nothing can stop it. Okay, powerful. You are the God of the promise. Every word will be accomplished. Nothing can stop it. Read this last one with me. You are the what? The God of the promise. Now look, there's, there's two key things that are going on here. First, we got the light of the world piece. We're going to talk about that first. Secondly, though, you've got every word will be accomplished. But in both situations, what does it say? Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Let's first look at that, that light of the world concept. Who is the light of the world? For some of you guys that have maybe grown up in church. Right. Jesus is the light of the world. <laughs> Remember, guys, it, it, most of the time when a pastor asks a question like that, Jesus is your right answer. Okay, Jesus is the light of of the world. And I want you to notice that Jesus is the one who said that about himself. Jesus is the one who actually makes a promise to you and to me about him being the light of the world. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12. It says that Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said this. Okay? Read it to yourself as I read it out loud. I, being Jesus, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, what happens? You won't have to walk in darkness because you will have what? The light that leads to life. I want you to notice. Jesus is making a promise to you, and he's making a promise to me. He says this, because he's the light of the world, right? The light of the world, meaning he's the savior of the world, right? He brings hope to the world. He brings joy. He brings peace to the world, all right? He is the light of God to the world. God became flesh, Emmanuel with us, the light of the world, God himself being, this, being on display in human form, the light of the world. Because he's the light of the world, watch. If you follow me, he says in his promise, here's what will happen. You won't have to walk in darkness. That's a promise of God through Christ to you and to me today. That because Jesus is the light of the world, what's going to happen? He's going to trample the darkness. He's going to trample the darkness and you and me don't have to walk in the darkness. So for some of you today, you're walking, you're walking in darkness in certain parts of your life. And here's the real reason why. Because you're unwilling to follow Jesus or to trust him in certain areas. And that's just the truth. You're hanging on to things that you don't need to hang on to. Because you're, you're unwilling to trust the very promise of God that when you follow the light of the world, Jesus, he'll trample the darkness. You don't have to walk in darkness. So th therefore, there's freedom from the darkness of your sin if you choose to start trusting in the promise of God 
in certain areas of your life. Now, I can't tap on all of those today, but I know the Holy Spirit can do that, and he's probably speaking to your life right now about those very areas. Secondly, though, in the chorus, it started talking about every word God speaks will be accomplished. Now, now look, that's kind of like crazy to think about. Every word he speaks will be accomplished. Some of you guys have dreams. (laughs) They're never going to be accomplished. Some of you have spoke certain things, and as good intention as they are, and as much you know, ambition as you have to, to accomplish them, they're just not going to be accomplished. But that's not the case with God. And I think that's part of the problem, is that we say things and then we don't follow through. And so therefore we think that God's going to say things and he's not going to follow through. That's a fallacy. That's false doctrine. That's not understanding the character and the nature of God. God says this basically about himself, that his word is to be trusted. And that when he speaks, right, the very essence of God speaking moves the universe. The very essence of God speaking lights up the sun. The essence of God speaking creates humanity. Guys, when God speaks, it will be accomplished. Why? Consider who it is that's saying it. It's God saying it about himself. There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name is Job. Job found this out firsthand. Okay, here's basically the story. Job, there's a book in the Old Testament called Job. Job is a man that's been blessed by God. He's blessed by God in his family, his finances, his business, his leadership. I mean, Job is just a blessed man. Satan sees Job being a blessed man and basically comes before God. It's a crazy story. Comes before God and says, you know what, God? I I think that Job loves you because you bless him. I think he loves you because of everything you do for him. I bet you if he doesn't have all those things, he turns his back on you. And God's like, I don't think you know Job. Of course, Satan doesn't know Job. God knows Job because he's the God of the promise. He spoke Job into existence. God knows Job better than Job knows Job, okay? So Satan is allowed to take everything from Job except for his life. So here's what happens. This horrific scenario of events takes place. All of Job's family dies. All of his livestock are, are, are killed. He basically, he loses everything. It's down to Job and Job alone. He goes from having everything to having nothing, okay? And through that process, how would you respond, right? I mean, wouldn't you be a bit emotionally, like, over, overcharged? I mean, wouldn't you be drained, you know, physically, emotionally, even spiritually? Well, that's where Job got, guys. And Job doesn't turn his back completely on God, but Job starts complaining to God. Job starts trying to be God, Because he's lost everything. So Job's going to step up and he's going to try to fix everything. In his mind, at least. And in his complaining. Until the end of Job, some of my my favorite chapters in all the Bible, the end of Job. When you get to like Job chapter 38 through 41, God shows up and shuts Job's complaining mouth because of everything he's lost. Basically, for a few chapters, you don't hear a word from Job. Which is pretty amazing, okay? Chapter 38 through 41, God starts speaking. He starts trying to say to Job, Job, you think you're so smart and you can figure this all out? You think you're so wise? You're just a man. I am God. Trust me. Trust in my promises. And he says things like this to Job. Job, since you're so smart, since you've got it all figured out, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you at, Job? Were you floating around in outer space someplace? Right? Were you born already? I mean, where were you, Job? And Job's like, he doesn't answer, 
right? Because he already knows the answer to it. He says, God also says things to Job like this. Like, who gives intuition to the heart, Job, and instinct to the mind? Can you do that, Job? Are you, are you that mechanically minded in a human designing situation? Or are you that educated that you can teach the heart how to have an intuition and, and, and teach the mind how to have instinct? And of course, Job doesn't answer because he can't. Right? God's just overwhelming Job with this understanding of how powerful God is. And when he says something, he follows through. He even, he even takes Job to this little this passage that I think kind of blows my mind. It gives you the attitude of God's heart when he's speaking to Job. Take a look at this one. In Job chapter 38, verse 31 through 33, God says this to Job, right? I mean, listen as if God's saying it to you. Job, can you direct the movement of the stars? Binding up the cluster of the Pleiades or loosing the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Can you do that, Job? Do you know the laws of the universe, Job? And can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you do it? Of course he can't do it. But God's asking Job, Job, will you still trust me even though you've lost everything? Because God's trying to remind him that when God speaks, every molecule of the universe has to obey. And at the end of it all, you get to Job chapter 42. Job is humbled. He comes to this place where he's repentive before God. But before he even repents to God, these are the next words that come out of Job's mouth. I know, God, that you can do anything. And what? Say it with me. And no one can what? Stop you. No one can stop you. I don't know about you. That sounds a lot like the chorus that we were singing, right? That's all powerful. Look at those words again of the chorus. Light of the world. Jesus. He tramples the darkness. For who? For those who follow him and walk out that promise. And guys, what, here's, the, here's the truth. Nothing can stop it. The only thing that can stop that promise from happening is your lack of faith and your unwillingness to be obedient and trust the promises of Christ. The second one, every word will be accomplished. Why? Consider who said it. God said it. And so therefore, nothing can stop it. And we proclaim one more time, you are the God of the promise. Job came to the unique understanding that nothing can stop God, even though he had lost everything. And once Job repented and he humbled himself, guess what? God gave him back everything, his family, his riches, his business, his leadership, gave it back to him twice as good as what he had it. See, guys, I'm just telling you, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a blessing when we trust in the promises of God. That's exactly, though, what Abraham and Sarah experienced in the Old Testament. When you go to, like, Genesis, oh, you can read this later. You go to Genesis, basically chapter 15 through 18. Maybe even back a few chapters, right? But 15 through 18 are going to give you the essence of what I'm getting ready to say to you. Abraham and Sarah were given a promise. And let me just give you the timeline really quick. Abraham um, is like 70 years old, okay? Sarah is like 60 years old. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars are in the heavens. Now... That's incredible until you think about the, the fact that they don't have any children at this moment. He's 70, she's, she's 60, and God's made a promise to them, I'm going to make your descendants as many as there are stars 
in the heavens. So how likely is that promise to be fulfilled? Okay, you see what I'm saying? Five years later, God makes a promise, but more unique, more specific to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, now at 75 years old, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham, I think, kind of laughs a little bit about this. Like, are you serious about this, God? Like, if God made you a promise at 75 years old, and he said, look, I'm going to give you your first son, wouldn't you expect that promise to happen, like, really quickly? Like, you would say, God, I don't have a lot of time on this earth. God didn't make that promise happen very quickly. In fact, it wasn't until Abraham was 100 years old that he actually had the son that God promised him. I'm just saying to you that there are times when God makes a promise, but his timing is totally different than yours. And so what ended up happening is that when Abraham was about 86 years old, which would have made Sarah about 76 years old, Sarah's frustrated and upset at God. I, I, I'm, I, I can't get pregnant. Like, I can't have any children for you, Abraham. So why don't you, Abraham, go sleep with our Egyptian slave and have a child? Like, maybe that's the way we're going to end up with these descendants that are as many as the stars because I'm barren and I can't have a child. And if we don't do something, nothing's going to happen. Abraham follows his wife's words. They end up having a son. His name is Ishmael, which was outside of God's plan. But here's the beauty of God, that when Abraham... when Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. Three angels came and visited Abraham and they said to Sarah, you're going to have a, you're going to have a son, Sarah, and you're going to name him Isaac. And you know what the Bible says that Sarah did? She laughed. <laughs> like, are you serious? I'm 90 years old. I haven't had a child. There is no way this dry womb is going to give a child. But a few months later, you know what happened because when God speaks, promises happen. And they had a child. Here's what I want you to notice about the power of the promise of God. Abraham and Sarah, their age, it didn't stop God's promise, did it? No, it didn't. Because nothing can stop it. Their lack of faith in God, when they laughed when God said you'll have a son, their lack of faith didn't stop God's promise either. Why? Because nothing can stop what God speaks. And unique, I want you to notice this, it's very unique because it's a, it's a directive promise to them that even their sin didn't stop the promise of God. When they decided to have a, a child, right, out of wedlock, Abraham sleeping with their Egyptian slave and having a son, that didn't even stop God's promise of Isaac coming when Abraham was 100 years old. So if their age didn't stop it, their faith didn't stop it, and even their sin didn't stop it. I'm telling you that when God speaks, nothing can stop his promise in their life and in your life. So let's break this down. Let's put this into play for our life. I want you to know some things about the promise of God. The promise of God isn't ever your solution to your next problem. The promise of God isn't you putting a thought in God's mind that he would do for you. That's not how the promises of God work. The promise of God isn't the same victory that your friend experienced either. So just because Abraham and Sarah had a child at 90 doesn't mean that that's the promise that God's going to fulfill for you. Or just because your friend was healed of cancer in some miraculous way on this earth doesn't mean that that's the promise that God's going to fulfill for you. Just because their marriage was healed in a certain way doesn't mean your marriage is going to be healed in the exact same way. Like the promise of God for them isn't necessarily going to be the same promise that God fulfills for your life. 
And here's the reason why. Because the promise of God is designed to advance his kingdom, not your world. Just remember that. The promise of God is always designed to advance his kingdom and not your world first. There's basically, if I can just, I'm going to make this like so simple, some people are going to be upset at me. All right, so please, I'm your pastor, I'm your friend, forgive me. But the promises of God, I'm going to break them into two basic categories. The first one, I'm going to refer to it as the the Bible-printed promises. Bible-printed promises, meaning like, in this word, in this Bible, there are many, many promises of God. In fact, there's over 7,000 promises that God spoke out of his mouth that he has kept or that he is still keeping. These show, though, these 7,000 plus promises, they show the unchangeable commitment of God to his word, that when he says it, he's going to accomplish it. But guys, these promises are conditional. These promises we're talking about, these 7,000 plus promises are conditional, and they're conditional based on this, your obedience and your willingness to surrender your life and follow the will of God. They're conditional. I remember in my life, there was a moment when I was under a lot of pressure. I was being attacked from different sides. This was way back, okay, way back in like 97, 98. And I was, I was worried. Like it was making me even sick to my stomach. I remember a time of prayer when I felt like the Holy Spirit said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Psalms 91. And so I opened my Bible up to Psalms 91, which at this moment of my life, I'd never read Psalms 91. But God was getting ready to unveil one of his Bible-printed promises to me. And it starts out with, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of of the Almighty. God was going, God was immediately telling me, Jeff, get your eyes off of the world's problems. Get your eyes back on me. He says, this I declare, right? He alone, God alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Then it says this, that for he being God, he will rescue you from every trap and he'll protect you from deadly diseases. And I was just, I was blown away at that very moment that God took me to his word. He unveiled a promise for me. Jeff, get your eyes on me. Rest in the shadow of the Almighty, right? That I will be your refuge. I will be your protector. I will keep you from the trap that the enemy's trying to set for you. And guys, that word encouraged me. In fact, it motivated me to keep running after God. And God will take me back to that promise from time to time, which by the way, the rest of that chapter all fits right into the promise of God as well, okay? And God will take me back to that chapter over and over again. In fact, I've wanted to preach that chapter for my entire ministry career, and I've never been released to preach that chapter. You wanna know why? Because God wasn't saying it to me to tell you as much as he was just using his word to show me his promises and that I could trust him and that nothing will stop his promise in my life. And that was super encouraging. I would encourage you, go look up the promises of God. Google the promises of God. Read a few of them. It's a daily thing that you could do that would highly encourage your faith and your walk with God. So those are Bible-printed promises, but there are also what I'm just going to roughly define. These are just my words, as directive promises. These are promises that are spoken through the Holy Spirit to your specific mission, 
That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Hey, guys, look, you're going to be the father of the nation of Israel. In fact, Sarah, you're going to be a mother in the lineage of Jesus, which she didn't know. And Isaac, right, was going to be part of that lineage. God was speaking early about Jesus to come and about the nation. They had no idea what they were a part of, but God was speaking directly to them. It was a directive promise spoken to them. Trust me, I'm telling you, you're going to have a son. God speaks to you from time to time through the Holy Spirit, if you're willing to listen. That's a promise just for you. That's a directive so that you can accomplish what God's put you on this earth to do. Why? Again, remember, so his kingdom can advance, not just your world. Guys, I remember at 15 years old that God, he promised me he would use my life for his mission. Yeah, at 15 years old. I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me, Jeff, I'm going to use your life for ministry. Basically, I'm going to use your life for my mission. Now, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. I looked around, and I looked at people that were part of God's mission, like pastors and evangelists and full-time people, and I was, I, there was nobody around me at that time that I admired, that I looked up to, that I wanted to be anything like, Okay. And so I ran the opposite direction. I ran deep into sin, guys. For the next number of years, I ran deep into sin. But when I finally surrendered my life to Jesus Christ in Bellevue, Nebraska, in the early 90s, I remember kneeling down. I just drove by this apartment, actually, just the other day. I remember kneeling down in this apartment and surrendering my life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit showing up and saying this to me, welcome home, son. And don't forget the promise I spoke to your life because no, it doesn't matter like what you've done. Nothing that you've done has changed my promise. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God's promise is bigger than your faith. God's promise is bigger than your sin, okay? God's promise will be accomplished because he's the one who spoke it. So these two basic categories of God's promises are why we should use this song and sing to God and live out the promises of God with great confidence. And this is why I think we should boldly proclaim verse one of this song. Take a look at it as we wrap up today. I'm not gonna wait, not gonna wait, wait for the walls to fall. Why? Because I know a name that will bring them down. I know a promise. His name is Jesus who will bring them down. Can we just wrap up today with this one question for you? What walls are you waiting for God to knock down before you move? What wall are you waiting for God to knock down before you make a move? Well, God, if you just gave me enough money, I would make a move. God, if you just brought the right spouse into my life, I'd make a move. God, if... If you would just open up the heavens and you would just speak really boldly and maybe write it in the clouds with your finger, I, I would move. Or God, if you would just cause Pastor Jeff in the middle of his message to stop and to look me right in the eye and said, this is what God's saying, then I'll make a move. It's got to be pretty big like that. And no matter what it is, like what wall are you waiting for God to knock down before you move? Because you know what I'm getting ready to say next, right? The challenge is this. You already know the promise of God. I will not forsake you. I will not, I will not leave you. I will go before you. I will prepare for you everything that you need. Right? I'm the God of healing on this earth or after this life. I'm the God of restoration. I'm the God of deliverance. I am the God of 
provision, on and on and on. Church, stop waiting for the wall to fall before you move and start trusting in the promises of God and start charging ahead because you know a name. You know the name that will bring the walls down. He's the God of the promise, and his name is Jesus. Trust in him today. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray, and as we pray, the worship team's going to come out, and they're going to lead us in this song, God of the Promise. I want you to worship God, the God of the Promise, and I want you to look at that wall that you're thinking about right now, and I want you to say, God, I'm going to trust you to knock down this wall because you are the God of the Promise, and I know the name, the name of Jesus, that will tear it down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for those who have come to worship today. Thank you for those that this word was designed to speak to their life. Lord, would you use your word today to bring deliverance and healing and hope and freedom. And may we trust you with all of our heart as we believe in you, the God of the promise. May we trust you, God, and put our faith in you. Lord, I'm asking that for people right now that are struggling to trust you. May they trust you today in a way they've never done before. May they look at you and say, you are the God of the promise, so therefore I'm not going to wait for these walls to come down. I'm going to charge ahead. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to move ahead. For those who are caught in the darkness, may they trust you and follow you. And Lord, for those who are in need of your, of your word to be spoken to them, would you open up your biblical promises, like you did for me in Psalms 91, would you open up your, your word and would you speak your promises to their life today that would bring encouragement and hope and peace to our lives? So Lord, as we worship you, we believe today that you are the God of the promise. And we worship you, God, because when you speak, nothing can stop you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.